Well, have you ever stopped to consider that the entire reason you were created, your entire life exists for the purpose of serving someone else? You ever thought about that? I mean, uh, a lot of people go through this life trying to elevate themselves first, and then maybe out of their excess, they may or may not give something back to others, uh, because I think that's a part of our human nature, to look out for ourselves first. And by the way, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about everything. We tend to think about uh, my job, my house, my happiness, my purpose, my needs, my desires. I think life for so many people is, is all about what I want, how I feel, and how I'm being treated and what I deserve. The truth is, this is a suffocatingly self-focused culture that we live in today. We talk about self-esteem all the time, but what about our esteem for Christ? God created us for his own glory. According to Isaiah 43, 7, Colossians 1, 16 says we were created by him and for him. In Ephesians 2.10, the Apostle Paul explains that we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The word walk there is the ancient uh, Greek word peripateo. It refers to how a person conducts their entire life, how you, how you live, how you occupy your time. In other words, Paul says we were created to live our entire lives focused on the Christ, Jesus himself, which will be characterized, that kind of life will be characterized by doing these good works. In fact, that is what we as Christians should be known for. And of course, Jesus modeled that way of living for us. In Mark 10, 45, Jesus said, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Mark 9, 35, he said, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. The bottom line is, every one of us, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to serve. We're called to serve Christ first, and one of the primary ways we do that is by serving others, which means there is a really important question that each one of us needs to ask ourselves with complete honesty if we care anything about fulfilling the purpose for which we were created. And that question is, what is my life focused on? What is my life focused on, serving someone else or serving myself? Because if our primary motivation behind the way that we live our lives is to serve ourselves, then we're completely missing the point of why we're here on this earth to begin with. It's so important that we get this because people, and I'm talking about believers here, are constantly asking some version of this question, why am I here? What is my purpose? What is my calling? And yet, if we're looking for an answer to those questions that is self-serving, which to be completely honest, I think many people, if not most, are, sadly, If in our seeking for those answers, we're already oriented toward an answer that is self-focused, then we'll completely miss the real answer when it comes because we won't recognize it because it doesn't fit our preconceived, albeit incorrect, notion that our ultimate purpose in this life is to serve ourselves, to take care of ourselves, to ensure that we are happy and comfortable and satisfied. Now, 
understand God wants us to be fulfilled. Yes, of course he does. He wants us to be satisfied. He wants us to be full of joy, but we are to find our fulfillment in him. We're to find our satisfaction in him. We're supposed to find our joy in him as we serve other people. But for many, that will mean making a fundamental shift in how we view our purpose in this life, our reason for existing to begin with, because as long as we think that our primary purpose in life is to serve ourselves, again, we'll miss our true calling, which is always the path, by the way, to true fulfillment when we fulfill our purpose in Christ that we were created for. And so as we continue our sermon series, looking into the life and times of Joseph, our story today is a magnificent example of someone who learned through some very difficult life lessons that we are called to serve. No matter the context we find ourselves in, no matter how favorable or unfavorable our circumstances may be at any given point in life, no matter our position or standing at our jobs or in our communities, no matter how well or how poorly we may be getting along in our relationships, still, we are all, every one of us, called to serve. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 40, and we'll pick up the story right where we left off last week. We'll start with the first four verses. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them, and they continued some time for some time in custody. Now, just a little backstory. For those who weren't here last week, Joseph was sold to a group of Ishmaelites who were traveling traders passing by Joseph's brothers at Dothan out near uh, in the hill country of Ephraim, just past Shechem while they were shepherding their father's flocks. And so being far away from home, uh, Dothan's about 70 miles from Hebron where Joseph's parents and the rest of his family were at the time. Uh, his brothers, who were sick and tired of their little brother, gloating about his dreams, uh, where everyone was bowing down to him in the future and bragging about the fact that he was daddy's favorite. And so his older brothers see an opportunity to get rid of him. So they throw him down into a cistern, this big, empty, dry pit in the ground. And then they sell him to Ishmaelite traders passing by, who in turn take Joseph to Egypt and sell him to Potiphar, a powerful government official who was the captain of the guard, according to chapter 39, verse 1, which is literally translated, you'll remember from the original Hebrew, as chief of the butchers or chief of the executioners. Okay, Potiphar was the head of Pharaoh's secret police. And there in Potiphar's house, Joseph, after being thrown into a giant hole in the ground by his own brothers, and then sold to a group of Ishmaelites who in turn sell him to an Egyptian government official as a slave, at that point in Joseph's life, he has a choice to make. He comes from a very prominent family where he was the favorite child with the promise of a very bright future ahead of him, but he's ambushed by his brothers who lead their father to believe that Joseph is dead. And so here he is, sold into slavery in Egypt, a country not historically kind to foreign slaves. Joseph has a choice to make. He can brood in his misery, 
become bitter because of his circumstances, give up on his dreams because nothing in his life is going the way he imagined it would, or he can do what God created and called him to do, no matter what the situation is that he may be facing or thrust into. And that is exactly what Joseph does. He makes a choice to serve others in the very best way that he can. And because of it, God honors all that Joseph does in the most amazing fashion, as we'll see in the coming weeks. But Joseph goes from being a captive, sold into slavery, the very bottom of the barrel, to being promoted to working indoors instead of out in the fields, which was common for foreign slaves. And then he becomes his master's personal attendant, this place of honor among the other slaves. And then he's put in charge of his master's entire household. Joseph rises to prominence among the other slaves until he is over all of Potiphar's household. In fact, the only thing that Joseph was forbidden to have charge over was Potiphar's own wife. And what does Joseph get for all of this faithful service to others? Well, he gets thrown into prison because Potiphar's wife was relentlessly pursuing Joseph and propositioning him when Potiphar wasn't around. And because Joseph chooses to serve others' needs instead of his own desires, he refuses Potiphar's wife's advances. And so she cooks up this false accusation that Joseph tried to rape her, and he ends up in prison. Now, we spent a significant amount of time last week looking at the fact that Potiphar was actually more angry at his wife than Joseph because there was no trust between Potiphar and his wife to begin with. And yet, because of his very strong relationship with Joseph, Potiphar probably didn't believe his wife's story anyway, which explains why Joseph ended up in the king's prison instead of hanging from the gallows, which would have been the prescribed sentence for any foreign slave guilty of raping an innocent Egyptian woman, particularly one of such high standing as Potiphar's wife. And so all of that is sort of the cliff notes, okay? That, that's the backdrop for chapter 40. And by the way, all of our sermons are on our YouTube channel and our website. So if you've missed anything and you're interested, you can go to either one of those places and catch up. Now, after all that Joseph has been through, he's thrown into the king's prison. That's typically where those who lived and worked as officials in Pharaoh's court were being sent. But again, because Potiphar was most likely protecting Joseph, he puts Joseph there in the king's prison. And then in the passages we just read, it says the chief cupbearer and the chief baker were put in the custody of the house of the captain of the guard. That's Potiphar, as described in chapter 39, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them, and they continued for some time in custody. Now, Joseph is in prison, yes. Is that an uncomfortable place to be? Yes. Does it appear that Joseph's dreams have been shattered? Yes. Does it seem like his future is uncertain at best? Yes. Would, would most people consider Joseph justified if he had decided to look after himself first for once? Yes. But that's not what Joseph did. Not at all. Joseph just kept on serving others even before himself, and it actually sets him up for the most unlikely and yet amazingly wonderful future. And in that, there is a powerful lesson that all of us need to learn, okay? Your God-given potential 
can only be realized by serving others, not by serving yourself. Think about every great hero throughout history, whether, whether they were military leaders or government leaders or religious leaders or political leaders or people who fought for a cause or those who took a stand against tyranny and injustice. You just go down through the list throughout human history. What makes heroes throughout history notable? It's not their great attributes. No, what makes them notable is how they used those great attributes. Every great hero in history is considered to be a great hero because of what they did for other people. Right? Every one of God's children has had greatness woven into the fabric of our being by him when he created us. But that greatness, that potential is only fully realized when we use what he has given, what he's put inside of us to serve others. Right? There are lots of people who accomplish notable achievements, people who build up tremendous wealth for themselves and fame and power. But if that is all they ever do, they're not known for being heroes. They're, they're not known for changing the world for the better, right? Their wealth and fame and power may well be notable. But if they don't use those gifts that God has given them to serve others in the end, what good does it do? They fade into oblivion. Right? If you want to become all that God has created you to be, then you are going to have to use the gifts that he's put inside of you to serve other people because that is the only path to realizing your God-given potential in this life. By the way, that may not make you rich. It may not get you everything that your heart desires but you will change the world, you will. Because when you give yourself away in order to serve someone else, they are changed forever. And when you actually change other people's lives, you're changing the world. That's the stuff that heroes are made of. And I'll tell you, not all heroes become famous, widely known, but you will be a hero and you will never be forgotten by the people whose lives you've affected by giving yourself up for them. Remember what Jesus said, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. No one in human history has ever given more than Jesus Christ has given. And I would argue no one in human history has ever been more well known than Jesus Christ gave himself away. This is our great example to follow. And by the way, lest we think we're missing out on some great opportunity when we spend our time serving others instead of ourselves, I'll just tell you that God takes care of us when we take care of others. Joseph is clearly still being favored and looked after by Potiphar, which is just further evidence that Potiphar was actually protecting him by putting him into prison to begin with. And then he's charged with looking after the king's chief cupbearer and chief baker who are described as officers of Pharaoh in verse 2. And that word officers is the same Hebrew word used to describe Potiphar back in chapter 39 verse 1 where he's described as an officer of Pharaoh. Okay, it's the Hebrew word saris. It was used to describe those that were highly elevated in highly elevated government positions. And even though the title cupbearer and baker may not sound very important or impressive to us. Maybe it doesn't sound so elevated today. Remember, this was the chief cupbearer and the chief baker 
for Pharaoh, their chief responsibility in ancient Egypt was actually to protect Pharaoh from being poisoned through his food and drink, which was a constant threat in that culture. So these two men oversaw many, many, many workers in the service of Pharaoh, and they were charged with making sure that amongst all of those workers and all of that food and all of that drink that was prepared, that Pharaoh was kept safe. So along with Potiphar, these were all very close, very key officials in the king's court. And the point is that from the very beginning of Joseph's trials in Egypt and every position of service that he has been thrust into, even against his will, he finds himself in the company of some of the most powerful and most influential people at the highest levels of Egyptian government and society. Was that a coincidence? I don't think so. Why? Because God is looking after Joseph's future while he's faithfully looking after other people, even as a slave in a foreign prison. God takes care of us when we take care of others. And yet for Joseph in the moment, none of that changes the fact that to no fault of his own, he's still stuck there in prison. So far, serving others from the outside looking in doesn't seem to be paying off for Joseph. And I think the natural inclination for most people at this point would be to start looking out for number one first. Forget everyone else. I am going to take care of myself for once, right? How common is it to see people who've been hurt, wronged, and I mean sometimes legitimately wronged, pull back from their relationships, pull back from serving others, and withdraw in order to protect themselves? They begin looking out for themselves first. I've seen it so many times in the ministry when people get hurt so often they pull away from others. They walk away from their ministry, from their service to others so that they can look out for themselves first. In fact, I've done that in my own life early on, particularly in the ministry. At one point, I pulled out for a year from church because I'd had it. I said, I'm done with being mistreated by people. But listen, I had to realize something. God didn't call me to serve myself. He called me to serve other people. And so it is my job and it is your job to serve one another, to put others before ourselves, right? We just went through Philippians recently where the Apostle Paul teaches us in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Who does that? who actually lives like that. And yet that is precisely how we're called to live as followers of Jesus Christ. And that is how Joseph lived, as we'll see. Let's keep reading, verses five through eight. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled, so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Now, if there's any doubt up to this point about Joseph's commitment to serving others, not just out of obligation, but out of a genuine heartfelt concern and care for them, those doubts should be put to rest right here because both of these officers of Pharaoh are deeply troubled because they've both had vivid dreams about themselves and yet they cannot interpret those dreams. 
You have to understand in the ancient world, dreams were considered to be divine oracles, which they often were, to be taken very seriously. And so this was a really big deal, which is why these two guys are so upset because they know some really important message is being given to them about themselves and their own future, but they don't know what the message is. And so along comes Joseph and, and, and look, if Joseph was just doing his duty, if he was just checking off the boxes that were required of him while in prison, he certainly would not have asked these two in verse seven, why are your faces downcast today? Right, who cares? If all that Joseph cared about was staying out of trouble and doing what he was told to do, then why in the world would he bother to concern himself with the current emotional state of his fellow inmates? But he does, because his service to these two goes far beyond obligation. Joseph seems to recognize the fact that God is directing his life here, and he clearly points that out in later chapters. And so Joseph lives in the moment he focuses on what happens to be right in front of him, right in that moment, and serving those people and their needs right then in the very best way that he can because he knows that God put them there in his life in that moment for a reason, which is why he says to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. Let's keep reading, verses 9 through 13. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. So the cupbearer shares his dream, which contains a series of threes. There were three branches. There were three stages of growth, the sprouting or budding of the branches, the blossoming of the buds, and the ripening of the fruit. And there were three actions taken by the cupbearer, the taking of the cup, the pressing of the grapes and the placing of the cup into Pharaoh's hand. All of these threes, all of which represent the eminence of the dream's fulfillment. In other words, Joseph's interpretation and his effectiveness as a minister of God is about to be determined very quickly. His interpretation is simple and to the point. In three days, three things are going to happen. Pharaoh will lift up your head, which in this case means to deal kindly with you, then he will restore you to your office. You will get your old job back. And you will once again place Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you once did. You will be the chief in charge. And as we'll see in a moment, it all comes true, just as Joseph has said. And because he's been faithful in his service to God by so faithfully serving others, even as a slave in prison, this act of service will eventually prove to be the impetus for Joseph's rise to power in the Egyptian royal court and indeed over all of the land. He, he, he may not have understood that at this point. In, in fact, we could probably be assured that he didn't understand that at this point, but he clearly understood that his service to other people was in fact his service to God, okay? If you are not serving other people, you are not serving God. And I understand that probably seems like a harsh thing to say, but it is the truth. Nonetheless, there is no version of living for Christ that doesn't involve serving other people. 
So don't think that you're somehow missing out on God's plan for your life by serving other people because, listen, serving other people is God's plan for your life. Every single one of his followers is called to serve, and that calling to serve is a calling to serve others with others, by the way, through the ministry of his church, the body of believers. And yet somewhere along the way, believers, at least in this country, have gotten the idea that church is optional, that if I'm treated light, right and I like what it offers me and as long as I agree with everything that is said and done there, then I'll participate in the life of the church unless there's something else I'd rather do that day or someone happens to offend me. I may just sit that day out or I might pull back and serve myself for a change, a little me time. I was just talking to our C3 group about this a couple weeks ago. I have these conversations increasingly with people who ask me what I do, and I tell them I'm a pastor. And so often, more often, frequently now, people will say something to the effect of like, well, I love Jesus, but I'm just not the organized church. That's why I don't participate. Well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you don't love Jesus nearly as much as you think you do if that is your true conviction concerning the church. Because I'll tell you, my friend, Jesus suffered and he died in the worst way possible for the church. In fact, you cannot have a high view of Christ and a low view of the church and reconcile that perspective with scripture. You cannot. Because that entire approach to Jesus and his church, which is what it is, is scripturally incompatible. And furthermore, every command to engage in ministry from Acts 2 on is given to the church, not to individuals. There are no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. Paul was never by himself. The entire Old Testament points to and in many ways focuses on the coming of Jesus Christ. The Gospels point to and focus on the life of Jesus Christ. And everything after that points to and focuses on the church of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. And from the Acts of the Apostles on, the ministry of the Christ, all of it is to be carried out through the church. That is us together because the spirit of Christ, if you're one of his followers, lives inside of you. And so we have this common unity and so he's commanded us to serve him by serving others altogether. All right, there's no version of the Christian life where participation in the life of the church is optional. If you think that just you and Jesus is enough to fulfill your purpose in this life, then you are actually mistaken. Because the church, which was his idea, by the way, it was his creation, it's his bride, it's his plan. The church is the primary means through which his work is accomplished on this good earth. That's why he commanded us to make disciples and he gave that command to the church. That's why his instructions for how we are to live our lives are given to the church. That's why his future plans were revealed to the church. I heard someone say recently, I don't know who it was, uh, I was listening to someone preaching, he said the church is God's plan A. There is no plan B. And so if you're committed to serving God, that means you have to be committed 
to serving others. And the way he commands us to do that is always as an active part in and through his church, which is why all of the ministries at this church focus on serving other people. It's why all of our ministries are organized into teams. So we do it together. And so I'm, I'm just trying to tell you as, as kindly, but also as honestly as I can, because I love you. Please don't fool yourself into thinking that you're serving God if you're not actively serving other people because there is no version of living for Jesus Christ that doesn't involve serving other people. And clearly that wasn't lost on Joseph. Let's finish our story for today. Verse 14 to the end. Only remember me, Joseph says to the cupbearer, when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. But when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, hey, over here, look at me. I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered him and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you. He will hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, it was common in ancient Egypt on Pharaoh's birthday to grant amnesty to some prisoners. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all of his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. Gee, thanks, cupbearer. So Joseph, after interpreting the cupbearer's dream, asked him to remember him. And when the, the dream is fulfilled, it's three days later, which is not an indicator, by the way, of Joseph's confidence in himself. Rather, it is an indicator of his unwavering confidence in God, just as he said in verse eight, do not interpretations belong to God. So there's no question for Joseph whether or not the interpretation was accurate. The only question he had was whether or not the cupbearer would try to help him out of prison once he's back in good graces with Pharaoh. So the chief baker chimes in after, first of all, hearing that the cupbearer's interpretation was favorable to the cupbearer, but probably also because there were some similarities uh, between the two dreams. But if you look a little closer, uh, the baker was also clearly choosing to focus on the positive aspects of his dream to the exclusion of these glaringly unfavorable parts. Uh, like the cupbearer, the baker's dream contained a series of threes. Like the cupbearer, the baker was involved with his trade and service to Pharaoh in his dream. In fact, uh, in the Egyptian dictionary, there are 38 uh, different kinds of cake and 57 varieties of bread, which attest to the first-class gourmet of the Egyptians, but it also explains the baker's dream, including all sorts of baked goods for Pharaoh, and in particular, white bread at the time was considered to have prophetic implications in dreams in Egyptian culture. We have an ancient Egyptian text that deals with the interpretation of dreams from that perspective, from the Egyptian 
perspective. And that text says that if a man see in himself a dream, white bread being given to him, good. It means things at which his face will light up. And when you look at the baker's dream here, he says, I also had a dream where there were three cake baskets on my head. The word cake in that verse is the Hebrew word kori, which is literally translated as white bread. So the baker sees all of this white bread on his head and he has high hopes that his dream will have similar results as that of the cupbearer. But if he'd paid a bit more attention to the other details, he may not have been quite as excited to receive his own interpretation because there were also these major differences, right? First of all, in the cupbearer's dream, he's giving the cup to Pharaoh. In the baker's dream, not only is Pharaoh not present, but the cakes, the, the, the bread, the best of all that the baker had to offer was being taken away from him by birds that he had no power to shoo away or to stop, which really should have been a clear indication that the interpretation of the dream would not bode well for the baker in the end. And of course, we know that is the case. As Joseph says, in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you. That's a reference to decapitation and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat the flesh from you, which meant his head would be impaled on a pole to feed the birds. In the ancient uh, Near East, when they referred to hanging or hanging from the gallows or even hanging from a, a tree, it was typically execution by taking a long wooden pole sharpened at one end with the blunt end fixed on a platform. That was the gallows. And then the victim was set down on the sharp end and they pulled him down by his legs until the pole traveled all the way through his body and out of the throat. Then the body was left there or even just the head according to the Egyptians to prevent his spirit from resting in the afterlife. It was a slow horrifying, agonizing, and of course humiliating way to die as you can imagine. So Joseph delivers the good news to the cupbearer and the horrifyingly bad news to the baker. And then in just three days, everything unfolds exactly as defined and described by Joseph according to the interpretations that God gave him. And as a result, for his selfless service to these prisoners, Joseph is forgotten and left in prison for a couple more years. It seems Joseph has been learning this lesson for a long time now, and it's a lesson that we do well to heed today because it is as true now as it has always been. Serving others will cost you. There's a tendency sometimes when we embark on a new project or a new ministry opportunity that involves serving other people to imagine it differently than how it actually unfolds. Because we expect that when we serve other people, that those people will be grateful, right? And yet, just as we've seen with Joseph, that isn't always the case. And anyone who's ever spent any significant amount of time serving others probably knows that very well. People are not always grateful when you work really hard to serve them, to meet their needs, to disciple them, to care for them, to shepherd them, to help them through life. In fact, I'm sure every mother in here has experienced that at some point, right? Your kids aren't always grateful for all that you do for them. And I'll just tell you, I've lost count of the number of people over the years who've come to me and said, Pastor, I'm done. These people have no understanding or appreciation of what I'm trying to do for them. I plan, I prepare, I show up, but they don't. They don't even call to let me know. 
or no one ever says thank you. No one seems to appreciate what I'm doing or no one is stepping up to help me. And on and on it goes. And by the way, I get it. I can personally empathize with every single one of those statements at different times in my life. There have been particular points in ministry, not here, far in the past, serving as a member of a church staff, sometimes for years in one place. And when we would step down to move to another area or, or into another position of ministry after years of faithful service, there would barely be a mention, if any, in the church, let alone any sort of send off or even a thank you. I know what that feels like. Everyone wants to feel appreciated, and I'll tell you, I understand that quite well. But when we base our commitment on serving others, on how appreciated we feel, what we're doing inadvertently is we're making that service about ourselves. But it's not about, it's not about us. It's not about self-esteem. It's about Jesus Christ and our esteem for him. And look, everything that he did was done for the glory of the Father and to serve other people. And guess what it got him? Nailed to a cross. Serving others will cost you. People won't always appreciate what you do for them. And furthermore, the message that you're called to share will not always be a popular one. John Calvin said the job of the preacher and the prophet is to tell you the truth as God has told it to them, even when it's unpleasant. James Boyce said, how many there are who are willing to preach the cupbearer's sermon, but are unwilling to preach the baker's sermon. They preach about heaven, but they will not warn about hell. If we are to be faithful to God, we must preach all that God reveals. No one likes having to tell someone something that person may not want to hear. Why? Because we don't like being rejected by others. I get it. But Jesus had a lot to say about judgment in hell. In fact, do you know he talked to people about hell three times more in Scripture than he talked about heaven? And he was rejected for it by many people, just as we will be. But remember, he commanded us, go therefore... Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. See, we're not serving people by telling them half of what Jesus taught, just the parts that sound really pleasant. In fact, we're actually doing them a disservice by not sharing all of his truth, much of which is incredibly challenging. Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Luke 14, 33. Seriously, Jesus? Did you actually just say that? At times what he taught was downright frightening. Read some of the passages where Jesus talks about hell. It'll bring you to your knees every time. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. God forgive us 
If we hold back the whole counsel of God, as the Apostle Paul put it, from people who are facing the reality of an eternity apart from God. But make no mistake, serving them by sharing all of that which he's revealed to us, that's going to cost you. It will cost you relationships with friends, sometimes even family. It may cost you your standing at work, even your job for some people. It will cost you position and prominence and popularity. It cost Joseph all of that. It cost Jesus all of that and much more. But look, if we base our commitment to serving others on whether or not there's a cost, then you might as well go home right now because there's no version of serving others that doesn't cost you something. Every follower of Christ has been created to serve, called to serve other people. There are no exceptions. There are no shortcuts to realizing your God-given potential in this life apart from serving others. Those gifts, those talents, those abilities, those resources that he's given you, they are all there for the express purpose of bringing glory to God as you serve other people. Which means, if you're not serving other people, you're not serving God. And though it can be a costly thing to serve, if you stay with it in the end, listen to me, you will not regret it because through that service, you will finally realize exactly who he created you to be. This is what it means to be a Christ follower. It's to live as Jesus lived. It's to live like Jesus as his spirit lives in us. Joseph's entire life pointed to the Christ. It foreshadowed him, the suffering of one righteous man who becomes the source of blessing, not just to Egypt, but that many should be kept alive, according to chapter 50, verse 20. Everything about Joseph's life, once he began to serve God by serving others, pointed to Jesus Christ. And everything about our lives is supposed to point to Jesus Christ. So we need to ask ourselves, what is my life focused on? Serving someone else or serving myself? Because if the honest answer is I'm focused on serving myself, then we're completely missing the point of why we're here on this earth to begin with. And I just wondered, don't you want your life to count for something more than whatever personal pleasure you can squeeze out of it? I do. I want to love people like Jesus loved them. I want to help people like Jesus helped them. I want to teach people like Jesus taught them. And I want to rescue people like Jesus rescued people. And all of that begins when we answer that calling that is on every single one of our lives. It's the calling to serve. Let's pray.